Good morning, Cornerstone. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Uh, my name is Hojin, and I am the Yonada pastor here at, at our church. And uh, if you're here for the first time or just visiting, I know some parents are here celebrating um, your child's graduation, so I just want to say congratulations as well. Uh, but we're so glad that you're here. Uh, you chose to worship with us. I get the privilege of, of sharing God's word this morning. Uh, the Oroville Dam is the tallest dam in the United States, and it's located north of Sacramento, California. And three months ago, the Oroville Dam experienced a partial failure. Um, that's not how it's supposed to look like. Actually, no water is supposed to be pouring into the area that's called the spillway. And this resulted in millions of gallons spilling into a region that was not ready to, to receive it. Approximately 190,000 people needed to be evacuated, and the message they got was that there was this 30-foot wall of water headed their way, downhill. It was slow moving, so uh, thankfully all of them, to my knowledge, were able to evacuate safely. But what is most shocking about the entire situation is that 12 years prior to February 12th, 12 years ago, three environmental groups had warned state officials that this dam was in need of concrete reinforcement. Twelve years ago, three different groups, they assessed the dam and they said that something needs to be done or else the area is not going to be ready. It's not going to be able to handle the potential damage and the potential harm that it could cause. State officials did not take the message of these environmental groups Seriously, and they're actually still dealing with it now. Even as recent as two days ago, uh, community um, officials gathered together, complaining to, to state officials to do something to repair the damage, to make restitution. They were not taken seriously. And today, just as uh, Jen prayed for us, we're starting a new series through the book of Amos. Uh, the book of Amos. And in a lot of ways, the book of Amos is about taking God seriously. The book of Amos is one of 12 books in the Bible called the Minor Prophets. Uh, the Minor Prophets were historically read all together as an anthology to get an idea of what God's heart was, look, what it looked like in the, in the time of Israel post the split of two kingdoms, the northern kingdom being Israel and the southern kingdom being Judah. The minor prophets start from the book of Hosea and end in the book of Malachi. And in a short four weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible says about justice, what, about, what the Bible says about mercy. But more important than that, we want to see the God who cares about justice and see why he cares about justice. In the book of Amos, we see a God expressing a message that needed to be taken seriously 2,800 years ago. And it also needs to be taken seriously today in 2017. It's only uh, nine chapters long, so four weeks. It's less than three chapters a week. I think you all can do that. We want to encourage all of you to read this book and see God's heart. So today, we're going to be looking at uh, select portions of the beginning of the book of Amos. So we'll be looking at Amos 1, verses 1 and 2, and then jumping to Amos 2, verses 6 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, open about two-thirds of the way, and you should land somewhere near 
maybe Jeremiah or so. I'll look for Hosea, Joel, and then it should be Amos. And if you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the, the Scripture for you up on the screen. Starting with Amos 1, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. And we're going to skip down to chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we continue. God, we thank you for the scriptures, and we thank you that it is holy scripture. It is inspired by you that you designated specific individuals throughout the course of history to communicate your heart, your character, and your deeds. So we pray today that we get a glimpse of you. More than anything else, God, I pray that I would fall to the wayside. I pray that even our assumptions about social justice will fall to the wayside, and we get the definition of your justice from your holy word. So we pray that you would shape us and you would start to do the necessary heart surgery so that we would start to pursue justice in a way that honors you, that glorifies you in the way that you've always wanted from the beginning. So we trust you, God, with this time. We pray that you would be lifted on high as a result of this time. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This series, we're calling it Amos, but with the subtitle, The Lord Roars from Zion. In a a couple minutes, I'll explain why we chose that subtitle. But the context of Amos needs to be understood so that we get a proper understanding of the message. When Amos spoke on behalf of God approximately 800 years before Jesus came to earth, Israel was actually thriving. They were thriving under King Jeroboam. This was a time of notable political peace and a a time of tremendous economic prosperity. They might have reached the height of their material wealth during this time. There was a lot of nationalistic pride as a result, so Israelites were so proud that they were Israel, and they were glad that they were not any of the other nations. They found security in their military. They found security in their financial wealth. And this, again, like I said earlier, the the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, 
The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. And Amos comes from the southern area. The, the town of Tekoa is in the kingdom of Judah. And Amos is called by God to prophesy and speak a specific message to Israel. And what is this message? The prevailing message of the book of Amos is that God addresses injustice for his glory. God addresses injustice for his glory. Injustice is incompatible with God, and he promises to do something about it. In the opening chapters of Amos, we see that God addresses injustice in two specific ways. And the first is that God declares his judgment. God declares his judgment. The first words out of God's mouth through Amos is that the Lord roars from Zion in chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion. In several places in the book of Amos, God is described as roaring or like a lion. And this roar in verse 2 is not this gentle roar. If you've gone to a zoo or a lion is just kind of laying out and we think it's some sort of upgraded like yawn or meow. This is, this is a roar that comes out when the lion has found its prey. This is a dangerous and ferocious roar of a predator in attack mode. And I want to show you a short clip of what that could possibly look like. The river ride feeds on a dead hippo washed up on the river's back. You get the picture, right? <laughs> this is not a roar that makes you go, oh, I want to pet a lion. This is a roar that makes you back up like that crocodile. It's an ominous thing to hear that roar. It's, uh, uh, the roar indicates that God's justice, the hand of justice is about to fall. His justice is about to be executed decisively and without wavering. And God in Amos is like a lion that roars because it has found its prey, those who have committed injustice in his eyes. From chapters, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5, which we uh, skipped over, seven, seven different neighboring countries of Israel receive judgment through Amos. God names their wrongdoing and declares that they will be judged. But things take a turn in verse 6. In verse 6, the recipient of the judgment is Israel. 
Israel was supposed to be God's chosen people, God's covenant people. And God speaks through Amos and says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And if you're using another translation, it says, I will not relent. He's not going to change his mind about the punishment. God declares his judgment against Israel, his covenant people. All of Amos' words before chapter 2, verse 6, would have made Israel happy. They would have been like, oh yeah, punish that country, punish that country. And like, you know, some of you oldest children, you know, like when your sibling's getting in trouble, you're like, yeah, punish, punish them. And then they're like, you should have known better. And you're like, oh no. Israel is culpable too. Israel is guilty. In their minds, they experienced economic prosperity. They, they, they experienced political peace, and they thought they, they were being blessed by God. But God names exactly what they were doing wrong in subsequent verses. What specifically were Israel's injustices? In verses 6 and 7, we find out that they have been exploiting and oppressing the poor. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. The connotation here is that either they've been taking bribes so that the poor would stay poor, or they've even been selling the poor into slavery for something as paltry and almost so low a price as a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the wicked, uh, the afflicted. The wealthy in Israel were only rich because they were cheating and taking advantage of the poor. Not only have they been exploiting and oppressing the poor, secondly, they were also giving false worship to God. In verses 7 and 8, a man and his father go into the same girl, incest, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay them th- themselves down beside every altar, the place of worship, on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. The garments and the wine here are talking about things that people have put up almost like a pawn shop as loans, and the wealthy are taking it. They're laying on it. They're sinning on it. They're sinning with the wine. They're giving false worship to God, practicing incest and ritual prostitution at these places that were supposed to be for worship. In these two specific ways, Israel has profaned the name of God. They portrayed him as no different than the gods of the other nations. Uh, do you all have a, a friend who's, who you think is the nicest person in the world? If you're wondering if it's you, it's probably not because you're thinking that. The nicest people in the world, they're like, oh, no, never, not me. These people who never seem to get angry, they rarely get annoyed at others. They're so patient, and they show grace in virtually every situation. And then they make you feel like a terrible person, right? These people are so annoying. (laughs) But I think these people are the scariest people on earth. Because whatever it takes for them 
to show anger, when that's unleashed, I think you will really see their wrath. When these nice people truly get angry, it will be scarier than those who express their anger often. And we often talk about God's attributes as inexhaustible, right? Never-ending. His unconditional love, His unending mercy, His kindness that has no boundaries. But there's actually one attribute that Scripture tells us will run out. There's one characteristic of God that will not last forever. And it's His patience. God is extremely patient. Don't get me wrong. He's extremely patient. But there will come a day when his patience will run out, especially with regard to injustice. Some, somehow we like to package God into this tame lion, don't we? We prefer him to be a lion that is approachable and pettable. And that is a side of God that is attractive, that is glorious. But we often overlook the side of the roaring lion who's upset at injustice. Amos shows us that God and his patience is serious about injustice. And these two injustices that Amos is talking about in in his book, the exploitation of the poor and false worship, we're going to look at that for, for four weeks. And if you want to get a fuller sense of injustice, read the entire anthology of the Minor Prophets. Christian musician and author Matt Papa writes in his book, Look and Live, the greatest injustice in the universe is not that people are dying of AIDS or people starving to death, even as you read this. It's not that there have been over 50 million abortions in America since Roe v. Wade. It's not even that there are 27 million human slaves in the world today. These things are absolutely awful. They are worthy of judgment. And I believe that they break the heart of God. But these even combined are not the greatest injustice. The greatest injustice in the universe is that there are human beings who do not worship Jesus Christ. The greatest injustice in the entire universe is that there are human beings who do not worship Jesus Christ. And this quote seems super extreme, doesn't it? It sounds like hyperbole. But it is absolutely true. The injustices that we see in this world are atrocious. But every social injustice that we know of, that we see in the news, is coming from, it stems from this primary injustice against God. That God himself is not worshipped. That God himself is not known for who he is and what he's done. All injustice comes from the fact that we don't know God the one and only holy God who reigns over all the earth, who created all people equally in his own image. Every violation of human rights, any mistreatment of specific groups, any blind eye turned towards anybody, all of this comes from this primary injustice against God. And God, in his holiness, he must judge If he really is holy, he has to judge. He must judge. But we also have to know that his desire is not to judge. It is to save. In 2 Peter chapter 3, 
it's very clear. God does not want to judge. He wants to show kindness and mercy. So he's patient. He's waiting for the world to come back and repent. And later in the book of Amos, we're going to see the call to come back to him. But God cannot tolerate injustice. He's merciful, but he cannot tolerate injustice. And there is no clearer sign of that than the sending of Jesus Christ, his only son. Jesus received the judgment that we deserve so that we can receive his righteousness. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on sin so that we can take on righteousness. Jesus was treated as if he had violated the justice of God so that we can be treated as the keeper of his justice. If God really is holy and sovereign, and if God is really loving and merciful, he must declare judgment against all injustice. The second way God addresses injustice for his glory is that he calls his people to pursue his justice. He calls his people to pursue his justice. Earlier, I mentioned that Israel was his covenant people, his chosen people out of all people in the world to represent him, to worship him. And through the way that they lived out their faith in God, the world should have known what God's glory looks like. Primarily through the treatment of others, as Israel treated others, and through the way that Israel worshipped their God. They needed to be leaps and bounds, not, not just better, but different, holy, compared to the nations of the world. If there were any people in the world who should have treated the poor well, it should have been the Israelites. If there were any people in the world who should have worshipped wholeheartedly, without sin, it should have been Israel. It should have been the nation that was saved and rescued from Egypt in that spectacular fashion in the book of Exodus. And it is to these people that God sends a messenger, this generally unknown person of Amos. Through Amos, God wants Israel to receive judgment, but also to come back to him. And we actually don't know much about Amos except for two things. And we see that later in the book, in chapter 7. We see that Amos is a shepherd. We, we read that in chapter 1, verse 1, but also in chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, that Amos is a shepherd. And not only that, he takes care of sycamore fig trees. We don't know much about him, but we know that he likes this type of tree, sycamore fig trees. He takes care of animals, and he takes care of trees. Why this guy to prophesy to Israel? Why this person to share a message that no one wanted to hear? And actually, history tells us that no one responded to him in the right way. If you read the entire book of Amos, no one responds to him except for one person. And it's a false priest named Amaziah in this verse. 
Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. God wanted to be taken seriously. But then he sends this unlikely character, a shepherd and a caretaker of trees, but it was absolutely the right person. And don't you see the fire in Amos' heart? Amos tells this false priest, actually, I'm not a prophet. I'm not even a son of a prophet. I have no business prophesying to you. And what I actually did was I was a shepherd. I was a fig tree caretaker. But you know what? God called me. And God told me what to do. And then verse 16. You would expect someone who just said that to go, all right, you don't have to listen to me. I'll just move on to the next place. But verse 16, he says, Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. He didn't see his history and his past and his uh, lack of skill, lack of experience as a disqualification to pursue God's justice by delivering this message. Amos knew fully well who he was, but Amos also knew that when God calls, he had to follow Amos knew knew that when God commanded him to go and prophesy, that he needed to obey. Aren't his words in verse 16 amazing? He's saying, I have zero experience, but God called me, God commanded me. Now hear the word of the Lord. Amos continues to pursue God's justice, even though no one responds to it. And Amos is faithful. In the same way, Jesus is sent to earth 800 years after Amos brings this message, this social ethic to Israel. And Jesus comes to give a new social ethic. And we've studied it last year through the Sermon on the Mount, this social ethic of of Christians in the world, that they need to be counter-cultural, how to live in a broken world. And Jesus dies the sinner's death so that we can live the righteous life. Jesus does what we cannot do on our own. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, what does he do to the disciples? He commissions them and tells them to make disciples of all nations. Israel thought that their covenant identity with God was this special privilege that they can hold on to and that they, they didn't need to share with anyone else. But what does God show us? He says, if you're in relationship with me, through Jesus, if you believe in me, not only do I care about people like you, people who are similar to you, but people who are vastly different. I want the entire world, the entire nation to know who I am and my glory. Cornerstone, where's your confidence as you pursue justice? What is your basis for pursuing justice? Is it based on what the world says justice should look like, or is it based on what Scripture tells us what justice looks like? Specifically in the book of Amos, it's about exploitation of the poor, 
and false worship? Is your confidence in pursuing justice based on your experience, your qualifications and skill set? Or is your confidence like Amos's, based on the call and command of our holy and sovereign God? How do you measure your success in your spiritual life? Is it based on how people respond to you? Is it based on the fruit that you produce, the number of people that you've helped through your donations, through your time, through your energy? Or do you measure it like Amos, based on whether or not you're being faithful to Jesus? A lot of you are going to sit in, if not already, commencement speeches that are going to tell you to go change the world, to try to achieve that right away. And while that's a great thing to pursue, what God calls us to do is to be faithful. Amos has a fruitless ministry of prophesying to Israel, but it's a word that we still read today, almost 3,000 years later, because it's relevant to us. Don't we see injustice today? Is there exploitation of the poor, oppression of the weak? Is there false and hypocritical worship of God happening in our world? Yes, yes, and yes. It doesn't take long. Even this past week, there was all this noise about the American Health Care Act. And honestly, I'm not trying to say anything political, but I don't even know what's going on. All I know is that people are being threatened People are losing rights. Is success in pursuing justice based on what you see political leaders do, or is it based on what you do to these people who've been exploited and put down? Even if laws change against the Christian ethic, we can live in a way that benefits those who have been forgotten. Our God is a holy God but he's also a merciful God. When he saved us from judgment that we deserved, he also called us to be people who pursue his justice in the world. So in this upcoming month, we want to take God seriously. He's a lion that's roaring from Zion. And we're going to look specifically at what what it is that we need to do in response. But we need to start with seeing who God is in his character, that he judges because he's holy. He also judges because he loves us. And we, we need to make sure that our motivation for pursuing justice, social justice in this world, is because God calls us to do it, not because we have this notion that we should do it. So today, Cornerstone, let's be people who see God for who he is. He's a of course, a forgiving God. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but he will not let iniquity go unpunished. But thanks be to God that he sends Christ for us. Amen? And that's, as people who have received mercy, we get to be people who extend that mercy to others. That's justice in God's eyes when it comes to his covenant people. The privileged ones, the blessed ones should be conduits and vessels and means and mediums for that same mercy and love to others. Let's pray as we close.
Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture that honestly often goes ignored. It is a message that even 3,000 years later is a tough pill to swallow. But it does not change the fact that it is truth. And it is truth that we need to hear. And it is truth that can transform our hearts for the better. That we get to see you for who you are. That even in your judgment, we get to see your glory, your holiness, your love, your sovereignty, your mercy. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to see how gracious you are. Yes, you are a lion who roars from Zion because of injustice. But you are also a God who will preserve a remnant so that people can see your glory, experience you, be in relationship with you. And all of that was fulfilled in Christ, and we could never, ever thank you enough for that. So as we think about injustice in this world and justice in this world, help us not to make definitions based on what we think. Help us to be shaped by your holy scriptures. And even in our response, help us to pursue it in a way that points all glory to you, that finds its motivation and energy and power from you and you alone. So be with my sisters and brothers here. Empower them as your children, as your people, as your covenant people to show the world what the glory of God looks like. We thank you for this time. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.